So full disclosure, I am really nervous. <laughs> and I'm not really a large group person. I'm kind of a one-on-one -on -one person. So um, this is way out of my comfort zone. But um, when Sarah asked me to share a little bit of our story or to share a time that we saw um, God's faithfulness, it didn't take long to know exactly what story I was going to tell and just realized that it was good for me in building my faith um, to look back and recount some ways that God unmistakably worked. And I would just encourage you guys to do the same because there are, um, I, I think it's easy as I was looking through the Jonah study, um, the miracles that are done there, it's easy to say, if God moved like that today, maybe it would be easier for me to believe. Maybe I would have more faith. And the truth is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the God of the Bible is the God of my life and the God of today. And he is moving in big ways, just as he was in the Jonah story today. So um, with that, um, I have been married to my husband, Dave, for 23 years now. And it always was the desire of my heart to be just a wife and a mom. And we dreamed when we were dating about having four kids and um, just a house full of chaos. And uh, we thought we were in control of that and very quickly found that we weren't. And went through a long, very difficult season of infertility and um, a very wise woman who was ahead of me in that journey gave the advice that we should make the decision early. How far are we willing to go? And at what point do we lay that down? And so my husband and I prayed separately, did some research, talked with people, came back together, and by the grace of God, um, had fallen in the same place, and we were in agreement with that, and I'm, I'm thankful that God had us on the same page, but honestly, never really thought we would get that far until we did. So um, we had to come to a point where we just had to lay that down, and my heart's desire um, just to let that go, and that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, but we decided at that point to kind of pursue the path of adoption. And the first time that we really had the opportunity to sit down with our paperwork and have the discussion about adoption, we were on the way to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert in Des Moines. And he is a Christian singer that I like, um, have always liked. And so we were having the conversations in the car on the way to the concert, and I was getting pretty upset. You have to mark things like, would we take a child with a cleft palate or a club foot, which I was born with, and that was a really easily correctable medical thing. So it was frustrating to me that we were having to say yes or no to these things, and I, for a long time was saying, who says no to this? Who, who says no? And then you get to the questions like, would you take a child with HIV or a drug-addicted child, or a sibling group of eight, a child with hydrocephalus, a child with spina bifida. And those were not easy questions for us anymore, and there were some that we said no to, and that was very difficult. Um, 
But it was, it was a neat thing at that concert that night was the first time that Stephen Curtis Chapman spoke about adoption and uh, he and his wife had a desire to um, help Christian couples um, by giving grants for adoption aid who wanted to adopt. And then our social workers that we had been working with were also at the concert that night. So we had been talking with them on the phone, but we got to meet them in person that night and we're moving forward with our adoption process and also got involved with um, Stephen Curtis Chapman's ministry, Show Hope from the ground floor at that time. So um, within a few weeks of that, we were chosen by a birth mom and met her and she was not far from her due date and chose us to be the family for her daughter that she was expecting. So. We were super excited, went home. We had a yellow nursery um, because we were prepared as foster parents to accept children. And I painted it all pink and bought all these pink clothes. And we were super excited for our daughter to come home. And then she was born and mom changed her mind. Um, and that is another whole convoluted story that got really complicated after that. Um, but ultimately, she is not our daughter, and um, by the mercy of God, he's kind of given me a window into her life a little bit, and um, she is now 18, just graduated from high school, very talented young lady, and she's doing fine. So that helps me to be able to say it is well with my soul, but on that day, it wasn't. Um, so we were home, and I was putting away all the baby girl stuff and just pleading with God, um, this is the desire of my heart to be a mom. And so I either need you to change my heart or change the circumstance, because right now they're not aligned. And his answer to me was, take a pregnancy test. That is not what I would recommend on a day like that. Um, after we had just called our families to say we're not going to be parents, um, and we had laid that down, we had thrown away pregnancy tests, I was not buying anymore, we were done with that, and I went into the bathroom and there was one in my drawer. And I took it and I was pregnant. How do you tell your husband this? <laughs> He's knocking on the bathroom door, trying to make sure that I'm okay because I was obviously a mess. So I came out and said, I think we're pregnant. And he was, what are you doing? Why did you do this to yourself? And I said, no, God said this, <laughs> I think we're pregnant. So it was a weekend, there was no doctor's office. We went to urgent care, <laughs> or no. We went to the ER and asked for confirmation of this, and they explained several times, like, you can go to the store, you can buy a test. <laughs> we don't really do this here, and my husband was like, you don't understand. Like, we need to know today if she's really pregnant or not. And so they did a blood test, and um, I was pregnant, and we called back our families, the same day to say, we're pregnant now. <laughs> so um, we 
came to find out I was expecting a boy. I painted over the pink nursery blue, put away the girl stuff. And about seven months later, um, we had our son Christian, who is now 17. He'll be a senior in high school this year. And very quickly after that, had a daughter and a son. Um, so I painted the room back pink for my daughter and then back blue for our third. Um, but we had three children in less than three years and we're kind of in this baby-induced fog for a good long while. Um, and then when Carson, our third, went to kindergarten, I kind of came to a new place in my life of I invested all my time at home and into my babies and was ready to do something more for the kingdom. And my husband, Dave, asked what I wanted to do, and the only thing I could think was that I wanted to help Show Hope more, which was the organization we had gotten involved in who um, did adoption aid and then orphan care at that point in time. But I was a little stubborn and said, they're located in Nashville, and I'm in Iowa, and they don't need me. And my husband said, you don't know that if you don't call but I was stubborn and didn't call. So I went out to run some errands, came home, and on my answering machine, which I realize dates me a lot, but <laughs> on my answering machine was a message from Show Hope that um, they just were confirming an address change. We had moved and some mail had gotten lost, so they just were trying to find us again. But I said, while you're on the phone, is there any way that I could help you from here? And absolutely, they, they were super excited and I really was blessed over the next few years to be able to help in some unique ways. Um, often it was if there were medical needs for the orphans that they were caring for in China. Um, first example, they had put me on a project to find um, shoes for children with clubfoot, which again, I was born with. Um, and who knew the inventor of those was in Iowa and they're made in Iowa City and so I got to have that relationship and, and be involved. One of my projects was um, they needed some things for blind children and that's what my degree was in, was working with blind and visually impaired. They didn't know that, but um, that was right up my alley. Um, another, they needed casting supplies and I was struggling to come through with that one after calling lots of doctor's offices and medical suppliers. And then my son broke his leg and being at the doctor's office talking about it, they gave me everything that we needed. So time and time again, um, the things that were needed for these children in China, I was able to be a part of and see God provide for all those needs. And I also became fortunate enough to start working on some tours with Stephen Curtis Chapman as a representative for Show Hope to talk with other families about adoption. And on one of those evenings, the road manager asked, when are you going to China? When are you gonna come and see this work that you're helping with? And I said, I, I'm sold, I'm, I'm in, I'm behind your work. Um, I don't think I'm gonna be going. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of money. Maybe that could be better spent somewhere else. And then I kind of got the full court press. My assignment for that day was to drive Stephen Curtis Chapman around the city to where he needed to go. And 
So when are you going to China with us? When are you going to come see? And you know, when your favorite singer tells you you're going to go to China, like, you go, right? So um, they got on the phone with my husband, and he said, you have my full blessing to go, but don't get any big ideas. We have three children. Our nest is full, right? So I went to China with that in mind. And um, it was 12 years to the day we landed in China that we had lost our adoption. And I knew that was a little wink from God of, I'm, I'm in control of everything down to the day. Um, my plan at the orphanage was to, over the next 10 days, pray for every child and hold every child and that took about two minutes to fall apart. <laughs> and I looked in the first nursery and the babies were sleeping and it was peaceful. And so I decided not to upset the apple cart. So looked in another room, same thing. The third room I went to, there were three little boys sitting on the floor in a row. And the middle boy turned around and saw me outside the door and he just threw his arms up. So I opened the door and he came scooting across the floor to me and I picked him up and I did not let go of him all day. And um, his name was Hajo. They called him Jojo was his nickname. So the second morning, I'm there with the director of the orphanage. And I had brought in my medical bag um, a lot of the club, club foot supplies and then this little wheelchair that a friend of mine had donated for the orphanage. And that's kind of another whole story in itself because I had collected these things, taken them to Nashville to be shipped to China, and then ultimately when I went to China, they were given to me to take there. So they started in Iowa and went to Nashville and came back to Iowa to go to China. Um, but that was a way God supplied too. On the way to Nashville, this little wheelchair got broken, and so the airline reimbursed me, and that money paid for my trip to China. So in even the little things like broken equipment, God provided for me to go on this trip. So the second day, the orphanage director says, I've got this little wheelchair. The doctor has a little boy to give it to, and I want you to see it. So I go with him, and sure enough, it's Hajo again. So I get to set Hajo in his little chair and see him wheel around for the first time. I probably don't have to tell you, I spent all 10 days of my trip with Hajo, right? Um, and when I left, had a very hard time saying goodbye and just I think the people who brought me regretted it because they thought I was going to have a meltdown right there. Um, but just prayed that God would provide a family for JoJo. And um, we left the orphanage and went to some sightseeing at the Great Wall of China. And I was sitting next to my friend David who brought me on the trip. And his phone rang in his pocket and I could feel it next to me. And he, he picked up the phone and said, well, it's your husband. So... I get on the phone to my husband, and he says, do you have a minute to talk? And I said, well, they told us when we get to the Great Wall, we have to jump. And I don't know when that will be, but when they say jump, we have to jump. So he says to me, I have JoJo's file. And then they said jump. <laughs> so 
We jumped off the bus, and I did not speak to my husband again until I returned to the United States. And upon my arrival, found that he had Hajo's file, which they describe as finding a needle in a haystack because um, China is a communist country. They don't organize things the way that we do in the United States. So if a child is born, particularly a child with special needs, like Hajo had spina bifida, he's paralyzed, um, they may not make a file for that child because they don't believe a family will adopt. Or they may make it when they're four or five or 10 or never. So there's no rhyme or reason to when a file is produced. And then there's no tracking system for where it goes. But any agency can only have a file for 30 days. If they can't find a family, they have to move it along. So my husband had called this agency and said, I'm looking for a file for this boy. And they laughed at him and said, I can tell you there's about a 2% chance that we would have it. And then she asked the name again and laughed again because it was on her desk. So um, my husband, who was very much feeling full, um, in the course of 10 days when I was in China, had a complete change of heart and just had prayed that if, if God wanted us to pursue this adoption, he would make it very clear. So in calling and finding this needle in a haystack, the door was flung wide open, and he knew that it was clear that we should pursue Hajo's adoption. Um, and we did it all backwards because God knew, right? Typically, you fill out that checklist and say, I will take a child with this or this or that. And we had marked no to all of these things years earlier. So God knew we needed to meet this boy and then be matched with him and then fill out that checklist to say, We'll take a child with spina bifida. We'll take a paralyzed child with hydrocephalus. Um, so we filled out all our paperwork and returned a year later to adopt Jojo. And um, in trying to choose for him an American name, we wanted something that sounded similar to Jojo so that it wasn't a huge culture shock when he had to change his name. We wanted to be able to keep him Jojo for a while. And we also wanted to always be reminded that God is in control. Um, where we thought we were going to adopt a healthy, newborn, domestic baby girl, 12 years later, he had for us an international adoption of um, a special needs toddler boy. So uh, it, it was a reminder to us that God is merciful and God has a plan that is very different than what our plan was. So um, the name that we chose for Hajo as a reminder of God's mercy and uh, the fact that we need to be obedient to God is Jonah. So um, if you look around, you may see him. He's a little tiny Asian in a wheelchair and he would love to be friends with all of you. He's as social as they come. So um, he's our little reminder that God is in control and God is faithful, and he's Jonah. <laughs>